You know, Zig Ziglar uh, talks about the power of the pump, and he talks about this idea that so often we quit too soon before the breakthrough. And he stands in front of a crowd of people, and he has this old-fashioned water pump, the kind that you pump to get water out of. And he tells this story about two friends, Bernard Haygood and Jimmy Glenn. They were driving in the southern foothills of Alabama, and it was a warm, hot August summer day. And as they were driving, they pulled off on the side of the road. They went behind an old farmhouse, and they found this old water pump. Bernard jumped out of the truck. He ran over to the water pump, and he started pumping the water pump. He put some water in first, though, to prime the pump, because how many of you know that sometimes you got to put something in to get something out? You, you can't just be a consumer. You also got to be a contributor, because if all you do is consume, eventually the thing you consume won't be there anymore to provide for you, so you got to contribute as well. So he poured some water into the pump to prime the pump, and then he started pumping that pump, and he was pumping, and he was pumping, and he was pumping, and eventually he gave up. He said, Jimmy, there's no water in this pump. And Jimmy said, oh, no, there's water in that pump. See, the thing about the wells in Alabama, he explained to Bernard, is the wells here in Alabama run deep. And that's a good thing because the deeper the well, that means the cleaner the water, the fresher the water, the cooler the water, the better tasting the water. You just got to keep on pumping to get the water out, though. So Bernard started pumping on that pump again, and he kept pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping. And, pumping. and eventually he said, that's it, Jimmy. There's no water in this pump. And then Jimmy, he jumped out of the truck. He ran over to the pump. He said, oh, no, Bernard, there's water in the pump. And he started pumping. He said, but the thing is, you can't stop pumping because if you stop pumping, then that water goes all the way back down to the bottom of the well. And you got to start all over again. See, what Ziegler was explaining in that story is that there's water in the well. But whether or not you'll see it is dependent on your ability to keep pumping and not give up too short. He, he went on to say this, we'll never know how many kids fall short of a college scholarship because they didn't study an average of 10 more minutes a day. We'll never know how we've come so close to a promotion, but we grew discouraged and quit too soon. We'll never know how successful we could have been, but we threw in the towel just short of the breakthrough, you gotta keep pumping because the water's in the well and it's yours if you're willing to do the work required to get it. We're starting a brand new series today called Circle Makers and uh, this is a series that's all about having a bold faith. It's about praying bold prayers and taking bold steps of action to receive the thing that we long for because we all long for some things. We all desire some things. We want some things in our life, whether it's peace or hope, whether it's a great marriage, maybe it's to leave a great legacy with your kids, whatever it is, we all want something. We all desire various things. And what we want to do throughout this series is figure out how do we get it. And I want to show you the principle of being a circle maker to get the thing that you long for. See, in order for us to have the thing that we don't want, we need to make a circle around it. And being a circle maker is all about praying bold prayers, big prayers. I want you to think about your prayers. Are they bold? Or are they just that you'll have a good day? Are they just that God would remove the problems from your life? See, I believe God wants us to pray bigger, bolder prayers than that. I want you to think about your faith. I want you to think about what could be in your life. Are you just hoping to make it through the week? Sometimes that's our prayer. And sometimes that's enough. God, just get me through this week. But here's the deal. I think God wants you to have a bigger, bolder faith than just get me through this moment. Are you taking some bold actions 
It's taking some bold steps. That's what we want to do throughout this series. See, there are things that we hope for, we desire, we long for, and we want, but the problem is we don't have them. And I want to um, posture to you that maybe the reason why you don't have it is because you hadn't made a circle around it yet, willing to pay, pray bold prayers for it, willing to have a bold faith around it, and willing to take some bold action to get it. My guess is that maybe the reason you don't have it is because you've grown weary of pumping and you've quit too soon. So what we want to do throughout this series is figure out how do we be circle makers. And I want to show you this principle that we see in the scriptures of how God will often give us a promise, something we long for, but there's a problem in front of it that's blocking our way to get it. And then he gives us a plan to make it happen. Being a circle maker is saying, I see the promise God has for me. Yes, there's a problem in the way, but I'm going to follow the plan to get to it. I'm going to continue to pump. Being a circle maker is saying, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter what the situation looks like, I'm going to continue to press forward knowing that one day the promise will come to fruition in my life. And I want to I show you that in the Old Testament of the scriptures in the book of Joshua. Now, before we read this and we see this principle in play, uh, I want to give you a little bit of history and context. So about 3,300 years ago, uh, the nation of Israel was held captive in Egyptian slavery. And uh, God uses a man named Moses to free them from Egyptian captivity. Moses goes to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He says, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh doesn't want to do that. So God sends some plagues on the nation of Egypt. He convinces Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. About a million people are freed from slavery. Moses leads these people through the Red Sea on dry ground. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. And then they wander through the wilderness, coming to the promised land. They make their way to the promised land God has for them. This is the land God has set aside for them, and he wants them to go in and take the land. However, there's a problem because the land is already possessed by people. So in order for the people of Israel to go in and possess it, they have to... Uh, displace these people. They have to go to war against them. They have to fight them. And what happens is the people of Israel get right up on the cusp of the promised land. They scope it out and they see that it's difficult. They see that there's a challenge there and they're not willing to engage in the challenge. And so they back off. By the way, this idea and principle of being a circle maker is this, that even though the, the, the thing that we want is, is there and it's in front of us and it, and it may be available to us, sometimes it's not ours because we're afraid of the challenge. Because so often as people, we default to the road less traveled or we, we default to um, the path of least resistance. We, we choose comfort over challenge. But how many of you know that the change you long for is found in the challenge, right? The, the, the abs that you want is found in the challenge. The, the good marriage that you long for is found in the challenge of loving them even when you don't feel like it in the moment. The change is in the challenge. I'll say it this way. The reward is in the resistance, we have to choose to do the hard thing, the difficult thing, the thing that we don't want to do to get the thing that we long to have. And so for the nation of Israel, they come right up on the cusp of the promised land. They see that it's a challenge. They got to do some battle. They got to fight some people to go in and take the land. And they're not willing to do it. They say, never mind. And so they wander around the wilderness for 40 years in no man's land. 
until that whole generation of people dies off. And eventually Moses dies. And then Joshua takes over for Moses, and there's a whole new generation of Israelites that come back to the promised land. They get a do-over, and they say, okay, we're up for the challenge. So they cross over the line into the promised land, and they come to the first city that they need to defeat in their conquest of this land that God has given them. And the first city they come to is the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho was not a gimme kind of city. The city of Jericho wasn't a softball toss to them. Like the first city they come to that they need to overthrow, they need to conquer, is probably one of the, the like biggest, hardest cities to fight against. Because as they come to the city of Jericho, they see that the city of Jericho is built upon a plateau. And so in order to get to Jericho, you got to climb up this, this steep incline. But the people of Jericho have defended themselves so well. What they did was they built a wall around the perimeter of the city at the base of this incline. The city of Jericho is about a half mile in circumference all the way around. So they built a half mile circumference wall all the way around the city. And the wall stands 15 feet high made of stones stacked upon each other. And then on top of this 15 foot wall of stones, there's another six feet of mud and bricks. And so this outer wall is 21 feet tall. And then as you go up the incline a bit, there's a secondary wall. The secondary wall is made of the same stuff, stones stacked on top of each other, 15 feet high, and then another six feet high of brick and mud on top of that. Two walls, 21 feet tall. If you're standing at the base of the city of Jericho and you're looking up, it's like you're looking at one massive wall, even though it's two, but it's like this massive wall, four stories high. And this is the first city that they need to take down in order to enter into the promised land. And so this is where we pick up in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel are watching this city. They're seeing the imposing walls. And it says this, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. The nation of Israel is standing outside of this heavily fortified city. The gates are barred. Nobody's coming in or out. And then God says to Joshua, See, I've delivered the city into your hands. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, Well, thanks, God. I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you've delivered them into our hands, but um, I don't know if you see what I'm seeing. How many of you know that God sees something we don't see? Somebody say, God sees what we don't see. Let me, I'm going to give you another chance at that because that was horrible. Somebody say, God sees what we don't see. Yeah. Joshua's like, God, I don't know if you see what I see, but we're standing on the outside of the city, and there are two walls in front of us. The gates are barred. I know you said the city is delivered into our hand, but that doesn't seem to be our reality. See, God has given them a promise. The city is yours. But Joshua can't see that because there's a problem in front. 
there's some walls there. See, oftentimes God will give us a promise, but we don't see the promise or live in the promise because what we see in front of us is not the promise but the problem. There's some walls blocking. God, I know you say this in your word. I know you say this is mine. I know you say, but what I see in front of me is a different reality. I want to I give you some examples. Here, here, here's some promises God has made. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each and every one of you. God says about you, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I breathe my breath into your lungs at creation. And because of this, confidence and self-worth are already yours. You can have confidence. You can have self-worth. You don't need to deal with insecurity or feelings of inadequacy anymore. This is the promise God has given each and every one of us because of what he said in his word. However, the promise of God is often blocked by the problem. See, all you can see are the walls of how you're not good enough because they said that about you. Some of us live in the shadow of what somebody said about us 10 years ago. And that's a problem. Right now, you, you look in the mirror and you say, I, I feel like I can't seem to get things right. I'm so self-conscious about how I look. All you see is the problem. God has made you a promise. You are made in God's image. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's your promise to hold on to. But oftentimes we let go of that because of the problem of what we see in our lives and the feelings of insecurity and inadequacy that we face. We got to remove the problem so we can enter into the promise. Here, here's another promise. You're more than a conqueror in Jesus. You can do all things through Christ. Freedom from that addiction has already been given to you. It's yours. That's the promise. But all you can see are the layers of walls of how many times you've tried and failed. The strength of the pull of the temptation keeps coming on you. And so, yes, God has made you a promise, but what you see and feel is the problem. And the promise is not yet your reality because you're living in the problem. Here's another promise. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, which means that your best days are still ahead. That's the promise. But all you seem to see is a pile of debt, a lack of vision and direction in your career, a marriage spiraling downward, and a steady sense of stagnation. That's the problem. And so God made this promise, but I'm not seeing that in my life because the problem is blocking it. What we got to do is we got to make a circle around the problem so that we could enter into the promise. And this is what we see happen with the nation of Israel. God said to them, I have delivered them into your hands. And I find it funny that God uses past tense about a present situation for a future reality. God says to them, I have delivered them. It's already done about a present situation. So God has delivered the city into their hands. It already belongs to them, but they're not experiencing that reality right now. When they act out the plan God gives to them, then they're going to experience that in the future. I hope I'm not losing you. So I have delivered them into your hands. This is a promissory plan of God that is true here and now. What I mean is this, the water is in the well, but I don't have it. Exactly, because you got to keep pumping. The city is already yours. Yeah, but we don't have it. Exactly, because you, you got to make a circle around it. It already belongs to you. 
But whether or not you'll experience the reality of that in your life is dependent on will you follow the plan? Will you make a circle around it? Will you pray that bold prayer? Will you take that bold step of faith? Will you act in a bold way? If not, it could be promised to you all all along. It could be right there in front of you, but it's not in your possession. You got to keep pumping. You got to walk around it. You got to make a circle. See, just because it's promised doesn't mean that you possess it. Let me give you some examples to make it more real. The love that you've been longing for is already available to you. You just got to do what it takes to get it. You got to make a circle around it. Here's what making a circle around it looks like. It means you got to change your negative attitude. It means you got to be the kind of person that you want to be with. It means that you got to set some standards and don't compromise. It means you got to go to the right places and meet somebody. You got to put some makeup on. You got to iron your clothes, put some cologne on. You got to go out on a date because Mr. Right, Miss Amazing isn't going to fall out of the sky. You got to make a circle around it. You got to do something to enter into that. You with me? The success you've been searching for, it's already available to you. You already got the success in your job, but you got to do what it takes to get it. You got to make a circle around it. I got to warn you, being a circle maker is going to require some hard work. Being a circle maker means you got to step into the challenge, means you got to do the difficult thing. It means so often we know what we should do, but we don't do it. Being a circle maker is actually doing it. So the success that you want in your job, it's already available to you. You just got to make a circle around it. So what's that mean? Well, uh, and and maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're looking for a job. What you got to do then is you got to get a haircut. You got to shave your face. You got to trim your beard. You got to get out of your pajamas. You got to put some professional looking clothes on and get out from behind the computer filling out applications and go to the place that you want to work and introduce yourself. Make yourself stand out. Offer to work for them for a month as a free intern with the possibility of a job. Honor your boss. Stop talking about what you want to do and get out and do it. It's already yours. The question is, will you make a circle around it and do what's required to get it? The health that you've been hoping for, that's already available to you. You just got to do what it takes to get it. Make a circle around it. How do you make a circle around it? What it means is that you make a meal plan and you stick to it. You create the time that you need to exercise. I don't have time to exercise. Nobody has time to exercise. That's why you got to make the time. We make time for what's important to us. But I really wish you can keep moping about it, complaining about it, crying about it, hoping about it, saying you should about it. But until you do it, it's not going to happen. You got to make a circle around it. Set some goals. Have a vision for where you want to be. Get motivated. Learn some proper form on YouTube. Ask somebody how to do it. Dear God, learn some proper form when you go in the gym. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Let me keep going. You need to Google some healthy meat eating plans. Whatever you got to do, make a circle around it and do it. If the people of Israel just stood back and they watched and they said, I wish we were in the city. God said it was ours. He delivered it to us. And they didn't do the plan he's about to give them. They never would have entered into it. That's what so many of us do. We just sit back and watch. Sure would be nice. I wish I could. I just don't have the time. Oh, man, wake up early. I don't know if I could wake up early. That's why. 
That's why we got a value in our church. We be what we want to see. We be what we want to see. So what do you want to see in your life? Start being that way now. Well, I could if. Stop making it. You're never going to get it. You got to make a circle around it. Begin to be what you want to see, and eventually you'll have it, and you'll be that person. And so God gives them the plan. God made them a promise. The city, I have delivered the city into your hands, but it doesn't seem that way. You're right. It belongs to you, but now you got to follow the plan to get the thing that I've given you. So here's the plan. God gets Joshua alone, and he says, all right, I'm going to tell you the plan, Joshua. Here we go. Joshua 6.3. What I want you to do, Joshua, is march around the city once with all the armed men. Get all the men. Have them put their armor on. Get their swords. Get their spears. Get their shields. And you're going to march around the city. All right. We're going to prepare for war. We're going to get ready for battle. Let's go. Armored up, marching around the city. Do this for six days. Hold on, wait. So we're not going to fight them the first day? Like, we're going to get all armored up and swords, shields, spears, and we're going to walk around the city, but we're not going to fight them. Uh-uh, no. You're going you're gonna to do that for six days. You're going to just walk around the city for six days. Okay, so, so we're going to have a parade. Is that, is that what we're doing? We're just going to parade around the city. Do, do, and then, and then, wait, it gets better. I want you to have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day. Okay, so we're doing this for seven days. Yeah, seven days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Okay, so God, this really is a parade. I mean, we got a marching band and everything. So, so your plan, you've delivered the city into our hands. Your plan is not to fight it, or but just to march around it. Uh-huh. That's what I want you to do. All right. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets on the seventh day, seventh time you march around it, have the whole army give a loud shout. Ah! Take that, Jericho! Then, when you shout, the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Hold on, God. We need to talk about this because I don't know if you know how walls work, but walls don't fall when you shout at them. You got to like hit them with like battering rams and use fire and your plan is to have a parade and then yell at the wall. This doesn't make sense. But how many of you know that sometimes God gives us plans that don't make sense? Return the first 10% of my income, and, and then you'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on me? I don't, I don't understand how that... Because if I return the first 10% of my income, that means I actually have less, not more. That doesn't make sense, God. Wait, wait. So, if I'm, so, so wake up how early and, and get to a skating rink at what time to set it up? And so we can create an environment for people to meet God. That doesn't make sense to me. That, y'all know we get here at 7 in the morning to start setting all this up. 
There are people who are just like you, who are busy, who got things going on in their life, who, who, who feel all the ways you feel, who week in and week out, wake up, come to this place and set this up so that we can create an environment for people just like you to meet Jesus and journey with him. Yeah. And you could be one of those people. Hey, I hope you'll be one of those people because we got open opportunities for you. But sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. And then you go to explain that. Yeah, I'm part of this church, and I wake up at, at 5.30 in the morning and go to a skating rink and set it up. Your coworkers will be like, what? why do you do that? That's stupid. Sunday's my day off. I just want to relax on Sunday. Yeah, but it's not about me, and it's not about what I want. It's about how can I make a difference? How can I make an impact? Sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense for the greater good. And so he says, walk around seven times, and then afterwards, sound the trumpet. I got I to gotta get moving. So Joshua then takes his plan, and he goes to the people of Israel, and he tells them part of the plan God gave him. He doesn't tell them the whole plan because he didn't want a rebellion to start. So Joshua, called, uh, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests, and he said to them, okay, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The parade has started. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. I imagine the people in the army were like, okay, so now what do we do? See, Joshua didn't tell them the whole plan. He said, okay, we're going to march around. They march around, and then they go to camp, and they're like, okay, well, now what? And again, God tells Joshua the whole plan, but Joshua didn't tell them the whole plan. And I think the reason is because he wants to teach them this, this principle, trust and follow. Trust and, and follow. I was a student ministry pastor for several years, and one of the things that, that we did in our student ministry was took middle school students to Atlanta for a middle school mission trip, and we'd take high schoolers to Mexico for, for a high school mission trip. We'd build houses there, and in Atlanta, we'd, we'd serve the homeless there. And, um, and oftentimes, over and over again, kids would be like, what are we doing? What, what, what's going on later today? What's next? What's happening? What? And, and after a while, um, I stopped explaining myself over and over again. I got tired of it, because... Um, I would tell them the plan, and then they'd forget, and then i have to tell them again, or this person wasn't there for it, so then they asked me. So I just came up with this phrase, trust and follow. What are we doing? Just trust and follow. Don't worry about it. You'll know what you need to know when you need to know it. Just trust and follow. Because if I told you the whole plan for the week, you're going to forget about it. Or if I tell you everything now, you're going to ask me later. So just trust and follow. Trust and follow. And I believe that God does this with us. So often we want to know the plan, but how many of you know that God doesn't give us the whole plan all at once? Sometimes he doesn't even give us the next step. And we're wondering, what do we do? Trust and follow. Trust and follow. 
And I think the reason why God doesn't always give us the whole plan is because if he gave us the whole plan for how our life was supposed to go or what we were supposed to do, then what we would begin to do is trust in the plan and not the planner. Oh, I got the plan. I'll just follow the plan. We can, if he gave us the whole plan, we would trust the plan and forget the planner. I'm working this plan. And God's saying, no, that's not it. I, don't, the, I want you to come to me and trust and follow me. Let me direct your steps. Let me guide you. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. Great, and that's why I'm glad you came to me and you're asking me, because I'm here for you. Trust and follow, and I'll lead you in the way that you need to go. So Joshua didn't give them the whole plan, and then they walk around the city, and uh, that's that. And then they do it again the next day. And then they do it again the next day. And it's got to be frustrating. It's got to be frustrating. Maybe, maybe like, like as a soldier in Joshua's army, you, you think, okay, day one, we're going to go to battle. And you're getting ready. You're getting armored up. You put your armor on. You get your sword, your spear, your shield, and you tell your wife, hey, honey, don't wait up for me. I got some killing to do today. And she's like, you go get them. And so you, you get ready. You, you join your squadron. You're there with Butch and Gunner, and you guys are all beefed up, and you're excited. You're like, we're going to kill some people in Jericho today. We're going to take this city. We're going to conquer it. Yeah. And then you're marching around the city, and you're just grunting at them, and you're looking at them, and there's people on top of the wall of Jericho, and they're looking down at you, and they're like firing arrows at you, and you're like, it don't, it don't matter. I don't care. We're out of range. You can't get us anyway, and you're just looking at them. You're like, yeah, you're going down. You're going down. And you're like, we will, we will rock you, rock. Like, you're getting pumped up. You're ready for war. You make that circle, and then Joshua rides by, and is like, good job, everybody. Go home. What? I don't get it. Yeah, go home. See you tomorrow. You go home. Your wife. Oh, that was, that was quicker than I thought. Man, how many people did you kill today? Uh, nobody? I, I didn't really kill anybody today. It was just, yeah. Well, how many people did you injure? You must have injured a lot of people. No, we didn't, no didn't injure anybody either. I mean, what did you do? We, 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 we walked around the city, we marched around it. Okay, you did some reconnaissance. I got you. You were um, trying to, uh, uh, hold on one second, y'all. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Always looking out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> My zipper was down the whole time. And y'all were just so polite, just so polite. So help me. If that happens again, somebody's like, hey, um, he's trying to get my attention past 20 minutes. Probably shouldn't say anything. Nobody would, no, it was, it was open. Anyway, how many, let me recover. How many, so you must have did some reconnaissance. No, we didn't do any reconnaissance. We didn't do any looking around. We were distracted because the zipper was there. We didn't, we didn't do any reconnaissance looking around. Um, so what did you do? Well, we just marched around and said we had a parade. Okay. So that's what you did. You had a parade. All right. Well, I'm here cooking and cleaning, getting the house straight, doing all this stuff. And you're just marching around doing nothing. Yeah, well, sorry. Sorry, honey. 
You want to have a good time tonight? Uh Uh-uh, you're going to sleep. And then you wake up and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. It's got to be frustrating because as a person in the army, you're saying, Joshua, we didn't sign up to have parades. We signed up for war. That's not happening. The plan's not going how I thought it should go. And then I imagine that by day four, five, or six, you start walking around and it's like... Are we supposed to be doing this? This doesn't make sense. Look, Joshua, or Joshua 6, 12. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, and the trumpets kept sounding. So the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp, and they did this for six days. I imagine that around day four, five, or six, you're just like... um, are we going to do anything? Imagine the people in Jericho, they were out looking. By day four, five, and six, they were looking, and they were like, what are they doing today? Well, they're walking around the city again. Okay. Well, let's go play checkers then. I mean, nothing's going to happen. Imagine being in the army. It would have been real tempting, real easy to just say, you know what? Forget this. I'm tired of walking. Let's just quit. And it'd be, it'd be one thing if, like, there was some evidence that what they were doing was working, but there wasn't any of that. How many of you know life doesn't work that way? I mean, it'd be nice if, as they're walking around, a brick falls. Then I see, okay, this is working, or a few bricks fall. But as they're walking, there's no evidence, day four, five, six, and then even on the seventh day, they walk around the wall seven times. There's no evidence, even as they walked around the sixth time on the seventh day, that any of this is working. I mean, give me a little evidence. Let me know there's some progress in what's going on. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes we don't see any progress. Sometimes we aren't given any assurance that what we're doing is working. And I think the reason is because God is wondering, will you trust me even though it doesn't seem to go the way you think it should be going? Will you trust me? God wanted them to know that the outcome belonged to him. Their obedience was their responsibility. See, the outcome is not dependent on me. The outcome is dependent on God. My job is to be obedient. And so I think God is asking us, when things don't go the way we think they should go, he's wondering, will you still trust me even when it doesn't make sense? Will you continue to walk even when you don't see it working? Will you continue to tithe even though you get a decrease in pay? Will you still display integrity even if it costs you something? Will you refuse to settle on your standards even though you're getting older and still single? Will you maintain a good and honoring attitude when progress seems to be stagnant? See, it's one thing to walk around the wall when you see it working, but will you still walk even if it's not working? Will you still make a circle? Will you still walk in the face of opposition? Will you still walk when it becomes difficult? See, God could have torn down that wall on the first day, but he wanted to see, will they be obedient to me and trust me for the outcome? The same is true for you. You got to keep walking and don't quit on six. 
What if the Israelites quit on six? What if, what if they quit on the sixth day? They never would have seen the wall fall. But God, you promised. God, you said it was delivered. Yeah, but you didn't go all the way through. You quit too soon. You quit on six. What if the Israelites on day seven walked around six times and quit and they didn't do that final seventh lap? Never would have seen the walls fall. I think the reason why God has them walk around seven days and then seven times on the seventh day, see numbers are important in the scriptures. Uh, the number six represents the number of man. God creates mankind on the sixth day. But on the seventh day, God rested. God took a break. And the number seven represents completion. If God brought the walls down on six days, then they would have said, look at what we did. God said, I want you to walk around seven times on the seventh day so that they would be forced to only say, look at what he did. God may have you still walking before the result comes because he doesn't want you to look at yourself and say, look at how awesome I am. But this only could have happened because of God's power and strength. I want to I close. You, you know, back in 2012, um, I ran a, my first and last half marathon. And... Uh, the, the truth really is that your best days are still ahead, but my best days are behind me when it comes to half marathons. We ran the rock and roll half marathon, and as we were running, there were mile markers that were set up to let me know how many miles I had gone and how many miles I had left. And I also had my Nike Run app on, and I set it so that every quarter mile, it would tell me how far I went, because I needed a lot of encouragement. So every quarter mile, it was like, you've gone two Two and three quarters of a mile. I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, five and a half miles. All right, cool. Seven and a quarter miles. Great. And when I, when I hit that halfway mark, it started counting down so I knew how much further I needed to go. And so I knew that a half marathon was 13.1 miles. And as I was getting closer, it, it, it would just let me know four and a quarter miles left, two and a half miles left. And I knew that if I just kept pressing on, if I kept pushing, I'd eventually get to the end. I knew how much further I needed to go. I had an end mark in mind. And so I kept going. But how many of you know that life doesn't give us an end mark? Sometimes we don't know how much further we need to go. Joshua doesn't give the Israelites the entirety of the plan, so they don't know how long they need to march. But on the seventh day, Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And when the trumpets sounded... The army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Here's the deal. If they quit on six because it was hard, and there was no progress, it seemed ridiculous, then they never would have gotten to seven, where the problem collapsed, and they were able to enter into the promise. So you can't quit on six, because this might be your last lap. Whatever it is you're in right now, 
this might be your last lap. You can't quit on six. You got to keep going. This might be the seventh lap. The promise might be within reach, but you'll never reach it if you quit on six. But then the question is, what if it's not? What if it's not the seventh lap? And you're weary, and you're tired, and you've been circling, and you've been pressing. What if it's not the seventh lap? Well, you just act like it is, and you keep going. And maybe you got to go another lap, and you just act like it's the last lap, but you got to go another lap. You just act like it's the last lap, and here's the deal. One day... You'll be right. One day it will be the last lap. But you got to keep circling. You got to keep going around whatever it is. You can't quit on six. You just got to keep walking. And if you're feeling weary and you're feeling tired and you're feeling beat down and you can't walk anymore, then you limp. And you just keep going. You keep limping. And if you feel you can't make it anymore and you're ready to quit, don't quit. Even if you got to crawl, you just keep crawling. You just keep going. Don't quit on six. You keep crawling. And if you got to scratch and claw your way, you keep scratching and clawing. Don't give up. Don't quit on six. Because God is for you, not against you. And he'll do all things. He'll work all things out together for the good of those who love him. And you inspire yourself. You remember you're not alone. This moment is not every moment. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you tell yourself that. And then maybe you'll get enough strength to stand up, to dust yourself off. And you keep on walking. Because you can't quit on six. You can't quit on six. This might be the seventh lap. So you got to start running. You got to keep going. Don't quit on six. If God is for you, who can be against you? I need you to stand now and walk with me. Walk with me. Come on, stand and walk. I know it feels silly, but you got to keep walking. Walk. And then you get in front of that wall and now it's time to shout so shout that wall down whatever's in front of you now's the time shout come on 